Hello, everyone. Welcome to your Sunday morning uh, with us here at First Baptist Church in Aransas Pass. I'm so glad you're with us this morning. So glad that we can share together in uh, the glory of God uh, through the Word and through worshiping in the Word and proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ. I wonder if you would bow your head with me this morning and join me as we start out and ask God for help in prayer. God, we love you and we need you, Lord. Lord, I need you here in this moment, Lord, to help Lord, strengthen me, Lord, strengthen us together, God, your church, to hear the word of God, Lord, and to let that inform our hearts as to how we're supposed to live, God, how we should respond to you. Help us, Lord. We need you so desperately. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we just finished with our uh, Good Friday and Resurrection uh, services, and uh, what an amazing thing that we get to reflect back on right? Uh, That Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that if we believe in him, that we are saved and given eternal life with him, and also that he rose from the dead, and that that uh, resurrection from the dead is a precursor, it's a prelude to uh, what happens to those of us who die in Christ, that we also are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And so I want to... um, read here um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning and go through some of this text. We're going to go through quite a, a bit of text here to, this morning. And, um, but that should actually encourage us. That should strengthen us uh, that if we have more scripture in here, then uh, there's, there's, less, um, there's less room for finagling around and coming up with our own ideals, right? If we, if we have more Bible. Uh, so, um, but I just want to start out by saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ should change us. Okay, it should change us. Because of what happened, because of what we believe, we should be changed because of that. It should inform us, it should strengthen us, it should comfort us, and we should have a developed hope as a result of the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through this, through that hope, right, through that comfort, through that strength, we should respond in love And then also respond in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's start here today in our text this morning. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, verse 18 there, real quick before we get started here, this is for encouragement. This entire message, this scripture itself in verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want you to be encouraged here today, church, because of what we're reading and what we're talking about, that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking directly to our hearts. You know, at times in our life, we can see through the pain of life. Um, At times we can experience pain, in other words, and we can see through it and we can continue to navigate and continue to live. 
Um, but but th- there are other times in life when we cannot see through this pain, where the pain seems to overwhelm us and overtake us. We become overcome with grief or struggle or suffering of, 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 of whatever it is that we're going through. And because we cannot see through the pain in life at times, we need encouragement from God. We need to know what he says to us in times like these. You know, in every man and every woman exists a fear of death, and we've talked about that, and we'll read a scripture here in a little while that's going to explain that, but in every man and woman exists a fear of death that seems to be onset from birth. It's congenital, in other words. We cannot see the end, nor can we see the other side of this life. That's not who we are. That's not how we're built. We can't see the end from the beginning the way God, ha- uh, God does. That's only him that can do that, right? But the closest we seem to come to see the end or to see the other side of this life, the closest that we seem to come to experiencing these types of moments of freedom and glory in our life is when we fall in love or when we uh, eat a really awesome meal that we enjoy um, or when we are sharing a fellowship or, 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 or just like a, like a good time, hanging out with friends and family, nice moments with the people that we love, with our spouses or our children, our parents. Um, These are little glimpses of glory. They're little glimpses, little tastes of heaven that we get to experience here. But even in these moments, there seems to be an awareness that these moments only produce a fleeting satisfaction. The satisfaction that we feel from these moments is fleeting. It doesn't last. It doesn't stick around. It doesn't stay. It goes away. But where are the true and real moments of lasting satisfaction? So if, if satisfaction seems to be fleeting here in this life, then we're, where, where are the, the moments of real lasting satisfaction that we're looking for? Where is the joy that's supposed to exist here in this world for those who love God? Where is this joy? How can we experience it? Where is the love from God that we should be able to feel in the here and now? Where is this love Well, to answer that simply, this love is right where it has always been. It is in Jesus. You see, when a baby is born, there exists in that little body all the makings of a sinner and all the makings of a saint at once. And the reason for this is because in that little body is the freedom to choose, the freedom of choice that we all have, that we all grapple with moment by moment every day, right? What should I do here? What things should I do? I have these, these decisions, these choices laid out before me. Which one should, which decision should I make? See, we've been born with a free will that gives us the ability to seemingly make our own path. Seemingly, though this in itself is not necessarily true because of a scripture I'm about to read. The path exists already independent of you or I because that path has been made by God himself. You see, the path has already been laid down, and it's up to us, uh, however, it, it, it's, us, it's up to us, however, even though that path has already been laid out, it's up to us to choose which path we're going to take. Now, there's the path of the sinful and the path of Christ, whereby we've received the gift of grace, uh, the gift of grace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ because we believe and because of God's grace. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 And verse 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 
the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I want you to hang on to that verse, okay? Remember that because we're going to be referencing that, or I'm going to be referencing that. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you see, the good works that we can do or the good path that we can walk in has already been prepared. It's already been laid out before us. Again, the last part of that selection that we just read in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So these good works, they were prepared beforehand. That path that we can walk in, that good path, it's been prepared by God, laid out so that we could walk in it. But will we choose to walk in it? What choice will we make? Now, with that being said, I want to highlight a few verses here from uh, this Ephesians 2 uh, selection to help inform us about the significance of, of what's being said in our target selection in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, notice that in verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, that it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I want you to hold on to that word too, disobedient. All of us lived, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So because we were disobedient, because we followed after the prince of the power of the air, we were also deserving of wrath. So the wrath of God that was laid upon us because of us being sinners, the punishment that we deserved was laid on us because of our disobedience. So in other words, we deserve it, right? We deserve what we're going to get. We deserve what's coming to us. This is why we need Jesus in order to save us from that, uh, from, from that punishment. So uh, we used to live in our sins. We followed the ways of the world. And now, now we have this wonderful opportunity because that, that was our life in Christ, the way that we used to live, that we were disobedient, that we followed after the world, we followed after the enemy. But now we have another opportunity, a new opportunity and a new challenge before us to take up the cross of Christ as he tells us to. Take up your cross daily and follow after me, right? That's what we have the opportunity to do here today, now as we respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a spirit, again, there's a spirit who's at work in the disobedient, and we are following that spirit when we are living in our sins. 
Not only this, but it actually says that while we are living in our sins, we are actually living a dead life. And so in a nutshell, there's, there is no life in sin. There is none. There is only death in sin. This is like a spiritual zombie, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? This is someone going through the motions of life, but who's actually living a pointless and dead life because of the choices that they're making. This is what it means to be lost. Now, I want to ask you this question. Do you remember life when it was like this? Maybe it's not so far off. Maybe it's far in the distant, uh, distant past. Fantastic. Maybe it's not so far off in the distant past. Maybe it's a little closer to home. Maybe you're living in it now. And if so, this message is for you. I want you to be encouraged that God is calling you to himself. That because of his grace, he's calling you forth, that you would be able to walk in those good works, those good things, that good path that he's laid before you. That you would be able to do that by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That once you're in Christ, you are a new creation, you live a new life, and you walk differently because your thoughts are different, your heart's different, your desires are different. You see now with new eyes and with a new mind. But I also want to caution you that following after the world is something that can happen to Christians as well. Just because you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, does not make you immune to living uh, a life where you're just going through the motions. I want to challenge you and encourage you today, don't just go through the motions in life. Have purpose behind and underneath everything that you do. This is the life we're called to in Christ, to live with purpose. In fact, going through the motions is something that happens with many Christians. I would argue that they, they, they make Christians, some people, they, they make a profession of faith, right, in Jesus Christ. They, they get baptized, and then you, you hardly see them in church. Uh, you hardly see them involved in, in, in any kind of uh, ministry work, or you, you hardly hear about anything that they're doing that, that they're telling you themselves about witnessing to people or continuing to grow in Christ, continuing to read the scriptures and grow. You hardly see them involved in this kind of thing at all, and you find out and maybe they tell you that they've backslidden and, and, and many times they're wondering in their own minds whether or not they're actually saved. And this happens to many. And then they end up going to another church years later, getting baptized again and then following the same pattern. I've actually met people that have been baptized three, four, five different times. Because they know that they need to be saved, but they, but, but they find life in the world too enticing and so enticing, but too enticing to actually commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And this is the challenge for us. And this is the pitfall that we don't want to fall into. God wants more for us than that. Because remember, it's not a profession of faith that gets you to the promised land. It's the belief in the heart that causes the profession of faith from the lips. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you profess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. There is no real profession of faith that's divorced from a belief in the heart. They're one and the same. They go hand in hand. One causes the other. It's not just a profession of faith made with our lips, but a belief in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. It is faith in what we have not seen, but faith in what we still believe because of the account of the witnesses that we have recorded in Scripture. 
and the fact that we believe that the word of God is the word of God. Now, let me bring to your attention uh, this verse in James 2. So uh, let's go to James 2 and uh, James 2, 19. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, simple belief is like knowledge. The demons know that Jesus Christ is Lord. They know it, they, right? But they do not worship him as Lord. Worship is the works. It's the proof of true faith. It's loving the Lord with all that we are. That's true worship. And so that is what our target is in life. Our, our purpose is to worship God, is to glorify him with everything that we are, our entire life. What's more is that in these same verses in Ephesians 2, we, we see that, there, uh, that, that we are either following God or we're following this spirit who's at work in the disobedient, the one they call the prince of the power of the air. If they are true opposites, God and then this spirit, then we must be obedient to our Lord and his commands and not obedient to the other, or to the other one, to the spirit, right, who is uh, at work in the disobedient. Because Jesus tells us in, in John 14, 21, among other places, and I want to read some, some, some verses here for you. In John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. I want you to, 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 to see the, the, the weaving together of love and abiding in the commands or following the commands, being obedient to the commands of Jesus Christ, and how being obedient is our love for God and what Jesus says. John 14, 12, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. John 14, 15 through 17, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love, then keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Church, the answers in life for life's most important questions, the answers that you seek now as you go through life, do not, they are not found in the world. They are found only in Christ. That's where our answers are held. They are held by the power of God himself. And those very answers are given to the people of God as we cry out to God and call upon his name for the answers. If you love me, keep my commands. It is our commandment-keeping obedience that is the display of love for the Christian that assures us of our faith in Jesus Christ. John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So either we obey the teaching of God and therefore show our love for him or we do not obey the teaching of God and therefore show that we don't love him. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And why would Jesus say that? These aren't my words, but they are the Father's words. Well, because he's also showing us that he's being obedient to his Father in proclaiming the news to us that we need to hear. 
Jesus is obeying the Father. He's showing us that true love. He's saying, listen, I love my Father, and so I obey his commands. And that love is real, and that love can be made real in you too, Christian, if you also obey the commands of God. Because what the commands of God, or being obedient to the commands of God, shows uh, you about, just, just you, first of all, about your own life in Christ, is that you belong to him. Because that, that, that love, that obedience, that, that's not to save you. That's to respond to the salvation that's been given by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He saves us, and then we respond to him by being obedient to those things that he commanded. And by this, we show him that we love him. In John 14, and verse 30 and 31, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. This is, again, that spirit who is at work in the disobedient. He has no hold over me. Again, verse 30, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. You see, there's a clear give and receive in these verses. The first give, the first gift, the first giving over is the giving of the grace of God for sinners so that we could be saved if we believe in Jesus Christ. And then we receive that grace as this free gift that we didn't work for, that we could never work for, that we could never earn on our own. That's what grace is. It's an undeserved gift. And it's also God having favor for his people by no works of their own. Jesus desires for us to obey his teaching. This is also the receiving. God gives the teaching and we receive it. And then as we receive it, we are obedient to it. You see, Jesus de desires for us to obey his teaching or his commands, and in this we express our love for him. When we express our love for him, he comes and makes his home with us. He gives us the promised Holy Spirit, and we continue in our discipleship and training for all the things that he has for us in this life and in the next. And this is all possible even for the sinful person through redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. Even the sinful, even us. Even all those of us who live in this world, who have been called by the Father and give our lives to Jesus Christ. It is so incredibly beautiful that though we are sinners, Christ died for us that we might have life in him. Jesus makes it simple for us. We are either with him or we are against him. It's that simple for the Lord. Matthew 12, 30 says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let me ask you, church, are we gonna gather with Jesus or be scattered upon the wind? So we want to be with Jesus. We want to obey his commands. We want to be known by our fruit. We want to express our love for him through obedience. And we want to stop playing games with God every day. We want to be all in or we may find ourselves all out. There is no in between with God. He actually says that he will spit those who are lukewarm out of his mouth. Let me read you this in Revelation 3 in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. 
I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And then God goes on to say in this chapter here, right after this, that he rebukes those and loves those that he disciplines, that, 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 that his discipline is a show or a mark of, of, of the love that he has for us. Those who are loved are disciplined. We are rebuked. And also, he calls us to repentance. And then he says that we are going to be victorious. In verse 21, he says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there is a victory for those who are in Christ, and there's a promise made by our Creator And this promise is that he promises to be with us and never leave us, never forsake us. What an amazing promise. Because, y'all, I'm going to tell you something right now. We have people all throughout our lives, throughout the course of our lives. Either we rub them the wrong way or they rub us the wrong way, but we end up separating and we leave each other for a time. Sometimes only for a little time. Hopefully, we're able to reconcile and come back together. And this happens in friendships. This happens in families. This happens between spouses. People leave. We leave. But thanks be to God and Jesus Christ that he does not leave. And he doesn't leave us. Nor does he forsake us if we belong to him. And there is no greater display of anyone belonging to Jesus Christ than those who are obedient to his commands as he tells us in John 14 that we went over. He promises uh, to refine us. He promises to make us holy in this Revelation 3 text. He tells us all of this so that we can have hope, so that we can be encouraged, that we are going to be changed, that we are going to continue to grow closer and closer and closer and closer to him. He wants for us to be assured of our salvation, church. He wants us to know that we're saved. He doesn't want us wandering in the middle of the night, am I his or am I not? He wants you to know that you belong to him. He wants for us to be obedient to the point of death as he was for his father and for us. Remember, he's not calling us to a life that we are incapable of, not in Christ. In the world, in our flesh, we are absolutely incapable of the life he calls us to. We are absolutely incapable. How do I know that? Because we need Christ in order to be with God in order to live this life for God. We are incapable in and of ourselves, but with Christ, there exists all the opportunity that we need to grow in him and to grow closer together or closer to him in love. You see, God's calling us to a life that he knows we can live in him. If it's in him, we can do it. Outside of him, no chance. In him, more than conquerors. He wants all of us, not just, he wants every part of who we are. He wants, he doesn't just want the foxhole prayers that we seem to pray when we get in trouble. We don't talk to God at all, and then all of a sudden we get in trouble, and it's like, oh God, please, where are you? Where have you been? Why won't you help me? As we're in the foxhole, and the bullets are buzzing by, and the bombs are going off all around us because we're in the battlefield of life. 
And our own minds even are battlefields that we have to contend with. God doesn't just want the foxhole prayers, Christian. He wants all of who you are. He wants everything. And he deserves it. He doesn't ever put himself forward to us as a part-time God. Like he just takes time off. Like, hey, I'll be with you today, but tomorrow I ain't got time for you. God doesn't do that. He's not like, hey, listen, for the next two weeks, I'm going to be with you. We're going to be close. But after two weeks, you need to get this thing together. You need to, you need to start rolling on your own because I got to move on to the next dude. That's not God. He's not a part-time God. He doesn't put himself forward as a part-time God. So why do we put ourselves forward as part-time Christians? Why do we only pray to him when things get, get, get hairy, when we get in trouble, when we start to struggle in life? How come it's only then that we come forward to God and all? How come it's only then that we darken the doorstep of the church? How come it's only then that we come to him? How come it's only then that we begin to read and open and excavate the pages of the scripture because we're looking for some kind of answer that we haven't found in the world? Why is it only then? Why can't we give him every single part of who we are every single moment of every day? Why can't we do it? I implore you and I encourage you, Christian, give him all of you. He deserves it. Oh, God deserves much more than we can give. And I got to apologize if there's anyone in, uh, in who's listening who's been turned off from, from church or from Jesus altogether by somebody claiming to be a Christian who's not living life any differently than anybody else in the world because that kind of life, that is not from God if we cannot go forward in our relationship with God and be his true followers, then we really need to take stock of where we are in his will and if we are even in it. We might as well not even call ourselves Christians if we can't follow him. Christ's disciples are those who follow Christ. Take up your cross daily and follow after me, he says. You see, if I were a tour guide and I were taking people on tours of the Coastal Bend area, but I didn't know anything about the area. I didn't know how to get around. I didn't know any of the sites. I didn't know where, where the harbor was here in Aransas Pass. I, I didn't know where the flats are. I didn't know where the water was. If I didn't even know how to follow a map, then, then what would people say about me, right? What would people say about me? They'd be like, oh, man, he calls himself a tour guide. We ended up lost for the whole day. We, we didn't even get anything done. We were, we, we were trying to help him navigate. We were trying to help him find his way, find our way. He tried to take us on a boat at one point. He didn't even know how to start it, right? Y'all, if, if we're going to put ourselves out there as followers of Jesus and we don't even know what it means to follow him and we don't read the scriptures, then we're just wearing the name tag again. And we're like that lost tour guide. I don't want you to just be a name tag Christian in name only. Just a status for you to put on your social media stuff. Just because you grew up and your mom or dad took you to church or your grandma or grandpa or whoever it was. Just because you believe that, that there could be a God out there. I don't, want, I don't want you to be a name tag Christian. God wants you. He wants all of you. Every single part of you. All of who you are. And he deserves it. You see, being redeemed means way more than just wearing a name tag and calling ourselves a tour guide or calling ourselves a Christian. It means so much more than believing that Jesus is God. It means that we not only know, but we worship him and we follow him. Because even the demons believe that Jesus Christ 
is who he says he is, but they don't worship him. Even the demons believe and know who he is, but they shudder. Why do they shudder? Why do they tremble? They tremble in fear. They shudder knowing that he's too much for them to handle and that there's too much power there. There's too much glory. They don't understand it, but they can't see him. They can't see him the way that he needs to be seen. And the way that Jesus Christ needs to be seen is through the lenses of God himself as he unfolds the truth about who God is because we follow him. Jesus Christ is seen purely and truly as we follow him. We get this truth about God unfolded for us in our hearts. He begins to unpack the truth about who he is. The Spirit reminds us of all the things that Jesus commanded and guides us and leads us into all the truth. This is what the Spirit of God does, the Holy Spirit, for us after we believe, after we profess our faith in Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We are given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee of our inheritance so that we can know what the will of God is because who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God, the Bible says. He knows the mind of God and he lets us in on this wonderful, beautiful, glorious life-changing insight so that we can follow, so that we can live, so that when we need the answers, we know where they are, and so that we can go to that place, ask the questions that we need to ask, and receive the answers that will save our lives and change them forever. You see, the story of redemption is a flawless story that has been dragged through the mud for thousands of years now. There's, a, there's far less made of the sacrifice of our Lord than should be made of it. Far less made of the sacrifice of our Lord than should be made of it because we've romanticized it into a sad story when it should be the most vivid and victorious reality on our hearts and mind. It's not just, uh, and minds, it's not just a sad story, the sacrifice and crucifixion of Christ. It is a beauty that we cannot even comprehend in our, in our finite minds because it is an infinite glory and beauty of God that transcends time and space as we know it. It exists in eternity, this truth about God. We can't even understand all that it is, but we cannot romanticize it merely into a sad story, something that happened to somebody at one point in history at some time that did something. It had some effect. I don't really know what the effect is. We can't romanticize it like that. We need to know that because of the work of the cross and the sacrifice and the torture and the punishment of Jesus Christ on the cross, because he took the brunt of that punishment and that pain, because of his death, we are saved if we believe. Salvation is yours in Christ. There is nothing more beautiful. Salvation is yours in Jesus Christ. Oh, what a lovely God we have. We were saved from death. We were saved from death, y'all. From death. We were saved from the penalty of our sin. And that fear of death that we all have has now become a shadow of it. And that's why in Psalm 23, David calls it the valley of the shadow of death. Even David knew all the way back then because he was a prophet of God that we will not face death if we belong to God. That death is but a shadow for those in Christ. It is not a reality for those in Christ. Spiritual death, that is. 
This body must die, our body has to die, but our soul lives on. Then we inhabit new bodies that are not subject to the sinfulness of this world. And I want to read this to you from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And remember, those that are descendants of Abraham are descendants through faith, because Abraham was the father of faith. Verse 17, for this reason he had to be made like them. Who's the he? Who had to be made like them? Fully human in every way. Who? Jesus fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Wow. Tell me that ain't glorious truth, y'all. Beautiful. So that same spirit of disobedience, who is the prince of the power of the air, also held the power of death, this says in Hebrews. But Jesus broke these chains for us so that we could be free. Galatians 5.1, it is for the sake of freedom that Christ has set us free. This is redemption. This is the truth of God. And this is why we need Jesus, because without him, we're still held in slavery of the fear of death. And that fear will drive us to do many things that will hold us back from knowing God because we will live our lives based on that fear, in response to that fear. We don't need to live our lives in response to fear of death, y'all. And now that we've heard all this, I want to go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive to our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We who belong to Jesus do not grieve as the world grieves, as those who have no hope. Why? Because we have hope. So hope changes the way that we process information. Hope changes the way that we we respond to the suffering of life. Hope. And that hope is that we will be with God once and for all. You know, it's easy for a pastor to go up um, at a funeral and, and say that, that, um, that so-and-so is in a better place. Um, they're in a better place now. It's easy. It's easy to do that. But the reality is that not everyone is in a better place. That's the reality. In fact, the ones in the worst place of all probably wish they could at least be back in this place. Imagine that. But this place is not for us, this world. Not for those in Christ, because we have a hope that transcends this world, even as beautiful as this world can seem at times. 
even as beautiful as those people whom we love seem to us as they look back at us, as we share moments with each other. This world is not for us. There's a glory yet to be revealed that everything in this world pales in comparison to, namely the suffering of this world, but everything in this world. You see, the suffering that we face here is all for a reason. I want you to know that the suffering that you face in life is not in vain. It is for a reason. God is calling you to himself because we are being built up and purified by fire to be with him in glory. The suffering of life, the purification of your soul, burning off all of the iniquity in you that you might be presented holy and blameless before your God. This is what happens to you in Christ. This is how you continue to be changed in Christ. You continue to be sanctified. Uh, The word sanctification or to be sanctified means that you're being set apart, that you're growing in Christ. So that's like the process of your life. So uh, so you've got your salvation when when you're saved, right? By grace through faith, you're saved in Jesus because of his work, right? You get to be with him forever. The salvation, then you have sanctification after that where you grow in Christ, your discipleship in the Lord. And then you have your glorification after you're dead, right? You are glorified and you're with God in glory, in perfection. And that is an amazing thing that we get to look forward to. But we're being built up and purified by fire to be with him in glory. He gets the last of us. He gets the best of us. That bit that's left after all of the iniquity has been relinquished, he gets that part. We must let go of our former way of life and let go of this body in order to be his. Say no to the desires of your flesh today, church. And say yes to Jesus. When all is said and done, did we love God? This is the question. Now, this scripture selection in 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians 4 is speaking to us about the rapture. It's the pre-tribulation rapture of the dead in Christ and those still on the earth when the rapture takes place. Those in uh, in uh, the the church at Thessalonica obviously um, were waiting for the return of Christ just as everyone was. They thought it was going to be imminent that he was coming right back after he ascended into heaven. After the 40 days of being on the earth, he he rose from the grave, then he spent 40 days more on the earth, and then he ascended into heaven. They thought he was going to come back soon. It was going to be really quick. And so the more people that died, they had a fear that those people, if they died before Christ came back, that they, that, you know, in other words, like what happens to them? Like, do they just stay dead? Do they, do they not get to go and be with, with Christ? And the more people that died, the, the more that the, their hope was getting shaken that, oh, if Christ hasn't come back yet, then what happens to those people who died? And Paul is setting the record straight. Those who are in the grave or asleep already have their spirits with the Lord and they're now being joined to their resurrected new bodies. What was sown in corruption is raised incorruptible. Listen to this and then I'm going to close in 1 Corinthians 15 and 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is talking about our death in the flesh. In other words, when we die, physically dead, physically dead, okay, our, our bodies die. If there is a natural body, verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. Who's the second? That's Christ, y'all. That's Jesus. Verse 48, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. You bear the image of Jesus Christ if you are in Christ. By the grace of God, you bear the image of the Son. And this is why we have hope and why we give our lives to Christ We do this so that we may be raised as Christ was raised, imperishable. If we are imperishable, y'all, we cannot perish. We are indestructible in Christ. Jesus is our model, and he is our Lord. And now I want to close with a quote from A.W. Tozer. Quote, The Christian faith may be summed up in the love for Jesus, To love him enough is to be sweetly and wonderfully free. To love him as he should be loved is to know at once complete release from religious forms and traditions. It is to reach the goal of life even here below. End quote. So there is a goal, Christian. There is a goal, y'all. Everyone listening, there's a goal. And that goal is to be with Jesus. Take that opportunity and be with him forever. If anyone has not professed their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would do that here now. Please send us a message. Let us know that you've given your life to Christ. We would love to rejoice with you and pray for you through that decision. Your life in Christ as it begins anew can be a struggle, can be tricky, and we want to help you as much as we possibly can in those stages. But it really, in any stage of life, if if you give your life to Christ now, here today, amen, hallelujah, God is rejoicing. There is singing, there's rejoicing, there's partying happening in heaven because you've given your life to him. And now, for those of us who have given our life to him, if we've walked away, I pray that you would come back. I pray that you would rededicate your life to Jesus Christ here now, today. Give him everything that you are. Remember your first love. And that first love is always Jesus. We love you. Praying for you. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We lift you high, Lord. We recognize that you are holy, that you are lifted up, Lord, that we are not. God, we ask for your grace here today, Lord, to save us. Lord, we ask for the gift of faithfulness, Lord, the gift of obedience, Lord, that we would be obedient to your commands, that those, those good works that, you, that you've prepared beforehand, Lord, that we would walk in them. I pray that we would make that choice, that we would make that decision to walk in your ways. And God, for everyone listening, Lord, I pray that you would bless them and give them insight from heaven into who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you so much. Thanks for being with us. God bless you. Go in peace.